0: Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts 19, that's where we'll be. Acts chapter 19. And we'll pray and we'll get started here. Lord, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to spend in it. We uh, we need this midweek. It's uh, uh, Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays have hit us pretty hard, and we need a refreshing time with you, and we pray that you'd bless us with your presence. This has already been prayed, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide, that you'd fill us afresh to overflowing. That we might be useful for you for the rest of the week, um, we just need this time with you. So thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen. Acts nineteen with the uh, with the works of the Holy Spirit in full force. Now Paul comes up to Ephesus here and runs into some disciples that are. It's obvious that they're not filled with the Spirit, and so he uh, talks to them about that. And so I want you to focus on that because. He calls them disciples. Now, we don't know if that just means John's disciples. It is a little mysterious of a section here because we don't know if they just were disciples of John the Baptist and heard about the coming of the Messiah but never heard the name of Jesus or that he actually came, which is hard to believe, but possibly. Um And so they needed to hear about Jesus, receive him, and then also, either way, whichever way we want to go with this, either they were disciples, believers in Christ that had never been baptized with the Spirit and it was evident by their walk, or whether they were just disciples of John waiting for the Messiah. Either way, at the end of this chapter, there's a bunch of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that needs to happen to every single person, every believer. And there is um, an obvious difference. Between a spirit filled Christian and a carnal Christian, it's obvious. Um, As I studied and looked things up, one of the old time preachers had mentioned if you don't know whether you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you probably haven't been. It's like an electrician saying, Have you ever been shocked before? and he's not sure. That's the difference. Sometimes it's a gradual process that takes place. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is something to be received by the Lord like you receive salvation. It's a a by faith thing. It doesn't have to be an experiential moment, but there should be an absolute definite change in your walk from that day forward. You should be able to look back on that moment and say, wow, everything's different. I know I didn't get electrified, but I've been having victory. And like Peter I'm not putting my foot in my mouth anymore. Now what I say brings people to Christ. There's fruit in my life. And that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the fruit. I'm more patient when I shouldn't be. I'm kind when I'm not used to be, I'm not used to being. Um, and so on, all those fruits in Galatians 5.22 should be evident in the person's life, but not because they've mustered it up or because they've disciplined themselves enough to not react like their flesh wants to, like deep inside, I'm fuming, but I'm not letting anybody see it. That's not kindness. That's not gentleness. That's not anything but holding your tongue. No, this is, I'm not responding like I normally respond. It's different today. And that's the difference. And so when Paul here in verse 1 comes to Ephesus of chapter 19, it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit So, John's or Paul's next question is then, how did you get baptized? Because, and we'll talk about that in a minute, because it should be evident. In the King James Version, that word there, when you believed, is since you believed. Now, there's not much difference there, except some can make a bigger deal out of it than is necessary. You receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, and that's how it happens, and it happens every time, and that's the way it is. And when we read through the book of Acts, if anybody's been paying attention at all through these chapters, there is no normal. It happens differently for every person. Sometimes they get baptized, and later on, they get laid hands on, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, which is what's going to happen with these disciples. Sometimes it happens like Jesus, when you were baptized, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove right then and there. There it was. The moment is visible. Sometimes it was before Peter even stopped talking and telling them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and then they later on got baptized. It's different. The common denominator though is that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and not just with water. Now, I love teaching the Bible and I mean, that is what I do. <laughs> I study it. I prepare a meal. And I try to give it out the best I can. I try to make it appealing. I don't want to serve it up on a garbage can lid. I try to do my job and do it well, you know, so that it's understandable. So that it's relatable. So that that is some application. But, but as much as we study the Bible, as much as we learn God's word and have our doctrine sound and everything is right, That's what the church of Ephesus is known for. And yet in the letter that we've just studied on Thursday night that Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus was that they had left their first love. They had everything right. The doctrine was sound. They were upset when they were supposed to be upset. They were happy when they were supposed to be happy, but they had left their first love. There was no power in that church anymore. The Holy Spirit was on the outside of that fellowship, but they were functioning as if they were alive, but they weren't. And he says, you need to return to your first love. And that can be a danger for us as we collect Bible study after Bible study, teaching after teaching. Remember, the only reason we teach God's word and the only purpose for God's word is to change us so that we're better people towards other people. That's it. That's it. If I'm studying the Bible day in and day out, memorizing scripture, understanding doctrine, but it does not change me and I'm not being different than what good is it, which is what First Corinthians 13 is all about. What good is it if I have all knowledge? If I understand all the deep things, if I know all these things and I have not love, what does it profit me? What is the point if I don't change? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that does that. The sword of the Holy Spirit is his word. And when he uses his word in our lives, it's designed to change us from the inside out. It's the only purpose for having these Bible studies. That's it. And... When we fall into the trap, and I don't know who started the lie—probably Satan. That's all. He's the father of all lies. That this is enough, or attendance, or there's some unwritten set of rules someplace where owning a Bible and attending certain times throughout the week and saying the right things constitutes a relationship with Jesus Christ and His work in my life. It's not. That's not true. The Holy Spirit expects us to use his word, or let him use his word in our lives to change us from the inside out, that we're no longer the people we used to be. I think that's what frustrated James and why he wrote the book. His little letter in his epistle was, look, don't tell me about your faith, show me. He's trying to get across to the people who he's most upset with was, you're telling me all about these things, and you're right, and you're accurate, but I'm not seeing it. I want to see it. Because faith without works is dead. Paul runs into these disciples who are talking about the Messiah, talking about their relationship, talking about it with them, and he discerns by just that conversation, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Enough of a difference that he's bold enough to say there is something off here. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we didn't even know there was one. What's the Holy Spirit? You know? oh boy, oh boy, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this entire book of Acts is about, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't say it enough. I can't say it loud enough. And yet there's nothing that Paul, myself, or anybody else can do. You can't impute it. You can't give it. It's got to come from God, and it's got to be something that people want. And you'll run into that. You run into believers that you're looking at them as a spirit-filled believer and you're talking to them and are like, we don't see things the same way, we're, and not doctrinally. I mean, there's no fellowship here, and it's not that I don't like you, and it's not that you're not a pleasant person, and it's not that we couldn't go to lunch and have a wonderful conversation, but we're not connecting here at all on the level that we need to connect on, which is the Holy Spirit. It's just not there. He's not there. And Paul has this moment. Now, he doesn't leave it there and doesn't walk away and say, those guys don't have the Holy Spirit like I do, does he? No, he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were believed? What's the Holy Spirit? Because I guarantee you, people, if they knew who he was, God the Holy Spirit, what he does, that he is the one and the only one sent by Jesus, and Jesus was emphatic about, I've got to go so I can get him here. If I don't go, I can't send the helper. And believe me, you want him. That was his main thing. I've got to go to the cross. I've got to ascend because if I don't leave you, you can't have him. I'm amazed at how many people don't want him. You want him. And all you do is ask for him. And I ask for him over and over again. So just in case you're like, well, I don't want to look stupid and ask for the Holy Spirit because I don't want anybody to know that I don't have the Holy Spirit because I think I've let everybody know that I've had the Holy Spirit since the time. I, I don't want anybody to know that I've been faking it this whole time. Nobody's calling you on that. You, tonight, not here, maybe here, there, in your bed, quietly pray. God, would you baptize me with the Holy Spirit? And if I have been and I didn't recognize it, would you just like super shock me, you know? Or give me whatever you have for me. Whatever I'm missing, will you give me more of it? I want it. I want everything you have for me. That's a super safe prayer. And I say that every time I talk about the Holy Spirit, there's nothing scary about him at all. It is the Spirit of Christ. And I'm not scared of Jesus. I've run into his arms for the salvation of my soul. I completely trust him with my life. And he's going to send someone called the Holy Spirit, the helper to come, who is the Spirit of Christ, to come into me. I mean, do you know what this is called in the Bible? The temple of the... Holy Spirit, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am walking around in the temple with these bright yellow shoes on. The the temple of the Holy Spirit right here. And sometimes they say, well, you know, that's the temple. You got to eat right. That's not what they're talking about. Got to keep my temple pure. No, you have to make room for the occupier of that temple to enter in and be worshiped there. I need to clean out every aspect of my life and make sure it's nice and tidy. and say, you know, we're going to do one thing in this body that's your temple and one thing only, and that is to worship you because this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who cares about a Twinkie? Eat a Twinkie. Eat Doritos. It's your heart he's concerned with. It's our minds he wants. And Paul says, did you believe? In John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22, I didn't give you my notes, Aaron. I'm sorry. So Jesus said to them again, now he is dead, but risen, but not ascended. So if everybody understands that, there's this time gap, this period where Jesus walked on the earth before he ascended into heaven, which is in Acts chapter one. He goes up into heaven, which we studied already, but we're in that in-between area. He is risen from the dead, but he's there. So he's having a conversation with the guys. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when that happens, when God says that, documents it before he's ascended into heaven, do you believe that the Holy Spirit was breathed on them and that they received the Holy Spirit? Yes. I mean, if he said so, right? Okay. Well, now, fast forward to Acts chapter 1, where he's about to ascend into heaven after he's breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit, he says this, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I focus on that because Jesus makes a distinction between the baptism of John, which is simply water, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is something entirely different. And you need both. You're to do both. You're to have both. He baptized you with water, but something way better is going to come. And even John the Baptist said that I'm baptizing you with water, but he's whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to loose. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit when he comes. See? Big deal. therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, now here's the thing. I focus on that six because they're not listening to him. He just told them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes. Got it. So are you going to do your kingdom now or what? They're not listening to him. And that can happen to us even in a group like this. Yeah, the baptism of the Holy Spirit its really important. Got it. Noted. You're not hearing You've got to have this. You have to have him. I can't emphasize it enough. But you shall, he says, it's, it's, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. In other words, that's going to happen when it happens. That's not what we're talking about here. Verse 8, back to what I was talking about. But you shall receive power, 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 power. <laughs> Without what's about to happen to you in the upper room, you have no power. You have no power without what's about to happen to you in the upper room. You need to wait in the upper room so that you can have the power necessary to do what I want you to do, which was to send you out as my disciples to teach and to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to do all that. Tell people about me, but you can't do that without the power that I want to send to you that's going to happen in the Acts, in, in, in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Wait for it. And then you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. They've waited around. They're in the upper room. They're praying. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, who had already been breathed on by Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit, were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. Where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the ministry began then. Peter steps out of this upper room, and 3,000 souls get saved on his first sermon, on his first ministry opportunity. 3,000 people get saved. That's a big difference for Peter from, get behind me, Satan, which is the, probably the, about the last thing he said, you know in his own boldness, and his own strength, to you guys need Jesus and 3,000 people get saved. There's a huge difference. It's power. It's power. So Paul sees this in them and not wanting to boast about how he has the Holy Spirit and they don't decides to do something about it because he's a teacher, because he's someone who understands the difference between not having the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit. He says, you need him. And so he asked the question here in verse 3, and he said to them, and to what then were you baptized? Now, why does he say that? Because Matthew 28, 18 through 22 says this. You're going to go, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How can you not know there's a Holy Spirit if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Should have been your first question, you got out of water. If you hadn't heard about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you should have popped up and said, wait, Holy Spirit... I mean, I know the Father and the Son, but who's the Holy Spirit? What were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Mm. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Regardless of whether they were just Messiah followers wondering who his name was, and now they know. And then they got, you know, not just repentance, but also saved. They received power from the Holy Spirit. He came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Paul did something about it. He laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, whether they're believers or not, whether they were just waiting for the Messiah or, or what, I never did quite understand that when John specifically told his disciples, hey, look, I've got a decrease so that he might increase, and I don't want you to follow me anywhere. I want you to follow him. Later on, we find John the Baptist still doing his water baptisms downstream from Jesus doing his baptisms up there. And I'm trying to think about how these two ministries could go together. How could this be happening on the same river? What, does he make sense to me? John should have said, okay, I'm glad you guys are all here. Now let's walk upstream to where Jesus is. There's some, there's a there's a thing there. I don't quite get it. Maybe he's just preparing the way for people and they get water baptized and they walk up the river and they go to Jesus and then they get baptized by him. I don't understand it. But that's the way it was. And so it's not inconceivable that these guys had that water baptism and maybe went the wrong way and never heard about Jesus again, or had come to John earlier as a traveler, when he was just preparing the way before Jesus was revealed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which John announced. And they went off to their hometowns again, back to Ephesus, and never even heard that Christ came or anything. You know, who knows? Maybe. Regardless. The point is, whether they were believers who didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or they were unbelievers who needed to believe on Jesus, they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. We can... Doctrinize this all we want and, you know, grind it out in our heads all we want. That's not the point of the teaching. Luke wants to make sure we remember this. Paul made a distinction between that person and himself. They're not filled. I am filled. They need to be filled. And he knew it. And he did something about it. We need to do something about it. None of the people in this room can say, I've never heard of the Holy Spirit before. That's the last thing you're going to be able to say to anybody. And if you need him and you want Him, and you desire all that God has for you, I encourage you to ask Him for it. Ask Him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing, and and it happens over and over again. Over and over again. It isn't just a one-time deal. It happens throughout your walk with the Lord at different times. Whenever He sees fit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing. It just is. And you know it. And you know it's him, and there's no denying it, and you don't have to ask. It's amazing. It's amazing. Otherwise, there are carnal Christians that walk this earth. I didn't want to get into that too much tonight, because what can you say to a carnal Christian? You know, A carnal Christian is someone who mentally has made that ascension to Jesus Christ being their Lord and Savior, but they still walk after the flesh. It's like there's no, they know of Christ, but he's not. Theirs. There's a carnality to it. Or they just walk after the... They just do. It's There's no difference. In verse 8. And he went into the synagogue after he laid hands on these guys and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he spoke boldly for three months there in Ephesus, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But, now he gave them three months, but when some were hardened... And did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, which is what they used to call Christianity. Oh, you're of the way, you know. Yeah, we are. Before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew his disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now he has been preached everywhere. I, I take note of this a little bit, not, not that it affects all of us on a daily level, but there is a point in time where Paul says, okay, I've given you three months. You're definitely hardened to the place now where you're bad-mouthing us. And so me and my disciples are leaving the synagogue. And we're going to go over to the school of Tyrannus over here, and we're going to study in peace. It's okay. It's okay to do. And he does it. And for two years, he focuses on people that want to hear. He focuses on people that are hungry, that desire it, that want it. He's tired of casting pearls before swine. It's like, okay, I tried. I I mean, you're without excuse. He let everybody know. And for some reason, there is a group of people that can hear the same thing Paul taught and reject it, as well as the other half that received it. It's just amazing to me. And we don't know why. It's an individual choice. It's people's choices that they make. In Matthew chapter 13, 58, because of unbelief, he says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, Jesus said. Jesus himself could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. Unbelief is a paralyzing thing in the non-Christian unbeliever and the carnal Christian. It paralyzes your growth and your walk. I, I can't do anything because you're opposed to it. That's... Why we teach the Bible, Um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, And, and we use that a lot and talk about that a lot, but let me break it down or try to explain it a little bit. The Word of God is designed to inform, to let us know what God does, what He doesn't do, what He likes, what He doesn't like. And once I know that and have received it with gladness, then I am open to, or should be anyway, everything that God is happy with, everything that God wants to do. And that's what the Word of God does. It prepares our hearts not just to know what's good, bad, and ugly, but to be able to be doers then of the Word. After that, I know what's pleasing to God, therefore I'm open to God doing whatever is pleasing to Him in my life. If what's pleasing to Him is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I want that. If what's pleasing to Him is for me to do this, that, or the other thing, then I want to do that. And that's the point of teaching the Word of God. We're supposed to go, oh, okay, I didn't know that was okay. Or I didn't know he didn't like that. And we change our lives based off of what we've just learned. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is just something we can muster up. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is something that we can produce on our own. It's something he produces in our life. But he gives us the tools, the word of God, to teach us that it's okay to receive everything he has for us. And we need to open ourselves up for that and to let him do it. To let him work. To let him change us. There are some that don't want to do that. And he could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. If you want victory in your life over sin, if you want things restored, things changed, you've got to let the Holy Spirit, who is the power and the ability for those things to take place in your life, you need to let him into your life. Otherwise, it will be the same self-help program over and over and over again. Christianity is not a self-help program. It isn't a philosophy. It isn't a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at things, because there's no power in that. I am broken, hopelessly lost, unless God comes into my heart and does the work for me, does the change inside of me. If I take God's word as advice or as steps or as a list, I'm hopelessly going to fail that list, those steps. Always I'm going to do good for three weeks and then I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall and I'm going to try harder this time. I'm going to post a list. I'm going to make a list yellow post-it notes all over my house. So, you know, but now I'm trying to remind my flesh to be obedient to the Holy spirit or to God's leading and it ain't going to happen. The Holy spirit empowers us to have victory in our lives. It's the difference when we get to Romans, which we're coming up to as soon as we clear acts here, we move on to Romans. Romans 7 is the frustrated Paul telling the Romans, I understand what it's like to not be able to do the things you want to do and the things you don't want to do. Those are the things you do. I know that. And then chapter 8 is all about, here's the difference. Here's how that, stop, that stops. That cycle quits. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The chapter 8 of Romans is all about the Holy Spirit. Got to have him. Got to do it. In verse 11, now, God worked, Paul or Luke says as he writes this, God worked unusual miracles. Now, make note of that. These are not normal. Unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. You could swing his little you know, tool belt around, his tent-making tool belt, and throw it on somebody, and the demons would flee from oh, Wow. That's unusual. That's not normal. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, because there was so much power in Paul or the sweat of Paul on these aprons. There was so much power flying out of this man who just simply submitted to the work of God in his life that the Jewish itinerant exorcists, these are guys that go around for a living, town to town. You got any demon-possessed people here? For a price, we'll get rid of them for you, kind of thing. Or maybe they did it for free. I guess we don't know for sure. But I like to give them, you know, a little. Because they didn't know what they were doing. And there was no power in their work. There was no evidence that it actually, fun- no demons were leaving, you know. And they knew that. But they were watching this apron. How come the demons left in this guy? He had Paul's apron. His apron? We've got holy water and we've got. I'd probably stars at the time. They probably didn't use a cross stars. We're putting on their for David stars of David and we're putting things on them and we're doing all these hexes and things and nope, nothing's happening. We want that power. They took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. That's a good start, but they don't believe in the Lord Jesus. So they began to try to bypass not having the Holy Spirit or having the saving grace of Jesus Christ in their lives and thought maybe we could use the word like abracadabra. So here's what they said. We exercise, and I got to use the voice, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. You can see him kind of watch to see what happened. We said the name abracadabra. It's not how it works. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. So there's two groups of these guys trying this out. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Anything happen? Oh, something's going to happen. And the evil spirit answered. Now, when you're doing exorcist, you don't want them to answer you. Mental note. (laughs) When there's no effect after what you said, and the demon looks at you and says, (laughs) you know, I don't know. You've seen the movie, some creepy laugh with some strange auto-tune attached to the voice to make him sound, I don't know. Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Uh, Who are you? And there was some confidence in that. Like, yeah, Jesus, (laughs) terrifying. Paul, completely submitted to God, terrified. You, not so much. You have neither Jesus or the Jesus whom Paul has in his heart. And so therefore, you have no power over us. It isn't that the sons of Sceva didn't say the right words, that they weren't bold, that they weren't willing to do these things. It was that they had no power. There's a difference. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. He tore their clothes off their bodies and kicked them out. I laugh because this is a funny thing, but they're wounded, so it's probably not too funny. I mean, they got beat up by this thing, whatever this thing was, and kicked out, so they went fleeing. What a humiliating moment for them. This became known. It works out for good. This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Believing in him has power. Saying his name doesn't. But believing on him does. And many who had believed, on, believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it was totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. There's a lot there. These books that they had spent so much money on, these incantations, these things, that these spells. I don't know what's in these books. I don't own any and nor have I ever seen any. But that's the idea behind them. How to conjure up and make things happen through sorcery or through magic or whatever. There's no power in them. They saw what happened with the sons of Sceva and they're like, "You, you take this book back, you know. I want that, you know. I want the power that Paul has. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. These books are worthless. What a waste of money. Burn them. And they burnt these things. They didn't try to sell them on eBay. They got rid of them. They burn them. I'd encourage you to do that. Because there is not only a belief in the power of God and a trust and a faith in Jesus Christ, but that it also moved them to action in their lives, to absolutely go through their homes and to remove everything in it that was not of God. And they burn it. And after they burn it, I think verse 20 is very telling. So the word of God, the word of the Lord, grew mightily and prevailed. The word of the Lord prevailed. It won. It worked. It was effective. It changed the whole city. A very strong church was planted there. So much happened. Education has to produce application in your life. It has to. Bible studies have to work. They've got to be outflowing from your life, or it's a waste of time. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tries to explain that to the Corinthian church. And they were a spirit-filled church who actually had the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they, there was no change in their fleshiness. In other words, they could be fleshy tongue preachers, you know, tongue talkers. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil, does not rejoice in sin or iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail, and whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I am also known. And now abide faith hope and love these three but the greatest of these is love because love is the only one that continues on into eternity faith and hope don't faith and hope is what we have right now waiting for but once we're redeemed once we're taken home to be with him I don't need faith anymore there he is I don't need hope anymore it's already happened but what I do carry on with me is love and Paul desperately tries to convince them of that first Corinthians 4:20 eight chapters before that. He starts off, with it just throws this sentence out, and I think it's an important one. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. That's the difference. If it's just word, and that's all we're concerned about is the working of the word, it better work. If we don't receive power, if we're not changed by it, if we're not different by it, if we're not that's what caused everybody to burn their magic books is because they were desperately looking for an ability to do things beyond their own fleshy abilities. And the world is looking for that, not so much maybe in magic, although they're probably dabbling in that too and they're doing the New Age thing and they're trying to find peace and serenity through this, that, or the other thing or they're burning sage or whatever to try to rid themselves of bad auras and all these crazy stuff that they do. But they're trying to reach something that's supernatural that's beyond just the normal... Um, I'm going to try harder. And if Christianity isn't different, it's just one of many of these things, then they're going to try Christianity like you've tried it or like I've tried it, and it's going to fail because their flesh always, always fails. And they're going to throw it away like all the other books they've thrown away in the past that have never worked in their lives. Telling someone about Jesus is very important, but to tell them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is how they're going to have victory in their lives over the sin that has kept them in bondage for so long. It's very important. So, when these things, after the word of God prevailed, verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit. Make note of that. He purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. Not in his own spirit, but in the Holy Spirit saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent uh, into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way, Christianity, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Diana, great as the goddess Diana, we're about to get into that in Ephesus. Brought no small profit to the craftsmen. Of course, you know, little keychains when you leave the temple. Here's a little Diana. Take her with you. You know, pray to her while you're gone. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Our little trinkets aren't selling like they used to. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So he starts off with, this is an economic disaster for us. And, you know, Diana won't be worshipped either. I mean, that's how we're going to twist this. And we happen to sell all the merch from the Diana worship. This is what the idea. Um, We don't have this necessarily anymore. I mean, we do. I don't want to pick on them again. Um, But we have different idols, and I've experienced that here in Maryville, actually. Different things that I've come against or spoken against, and well-meaning people, but have been here too long and don't realize that it's a temple and it's worshiped and our economic viability, it relies upon it, and they do not want that temple gone because it's economically important to our... I could care less about economy. I don't care about anybody's jobs, their money. If you're making it or earning it or profiting from deception, from lies, from things that lead people away from Jesus Christ you're targeted, absolutely targeted, and I could care less whether it all goes away. That is not how Christians are supposed to think about things. We're supposed to look at this from a biblical perspective. Is that keeping people from Jesus? Is it teaching them other things other than Jesus Christ? Is it leading them down a path that they should never go down before? That is worthy and falls into this category right now. And as the businessmen all get together and say, you know, they're teaching people that what's going on there isn't of God. And, you know, we're going to lose our money and all that. If they keep up, better shut him up. Mm. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. Everything needs to be on the table. There are no sacred cows. There can't be any sacred cows in our lives. None of them can be sacred. Well, yeah, I know, but that's this and that. Mm. Radical salvation is radical. Radically walking with Jesus Christ is way different than the norm. It is different. And I have loved it. And I love the fruit that comes from it. And I love the peace in my heart and the the soft pillow that I lay my head down on every night. I love it. And if you're confronted by it or convicted by it, I I would encourage you to embrace it. If the Holy Spirit's the one convicting, take it. Take it all and enjoy what he's trying to do in your life and let him do that work. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with... I'm not going to do it filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus and the Macedonians and Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go to the people and the disciples would not allow him, and some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Paul's always like that. Let me just talk to this mob. (laughs) No, 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 Paul. I don't think it's going to help. First of all, let's read this. They were filled with confusion, and they ran into the theater. They don't know what they're doing. They're just a mob, and they're really to eat anybody or tear anybody apart who just point at somebody in the crowd, and they'll get ripped to pieces. They just, they're a bunch of chickens, you know. They pick on the poor hen that gets singled out. Greatest of God is the Diana of the Ephesians. Why are we yelling? I don't know. Say it again. Greatest is the And they're just going on and on. And so they just grab this Gaius and Aristarchus and the Macedonians and Paul's traveling companions, and the guy's like, I wouldn't go in there if I were you, Paul. Well, let me talk to him. No. For the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. (laughs) Why are we looting, Target? I don't know. Grab a pair of shoes, you know. What are we supposed to be protesting? What difference does it make? Stick it to the man, you know, kind of thing. Okay. Well, that's what's happening here. And you know what? Alexander, the, the silversmith here is, is happy, or Demetrius, the silversmith, is very happy with this. And they, they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. Thanks a lot. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanting to make a defense to the people. Let me tell you what's going on here, guys. Quiet down. Let me talk to you. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried, Out! Yelling for about two hours. Have you ever watched someone picket a store, you know, or something like that? And there's someone with a megaphone. And they got to keep them going because it just kind of trails off after like three times. We're fairs. We're powerful. We're here to get you going. Or whatever. The, you know, they got something going. And the people are like, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. But I'm going to repeat whatever the bullhorn says. And they do this for a while and all of a sudden it kind of trails off. And then the bullhorn's got to come up with something new. And we're going to go this. And this. And oh, yeah. And they're to... They don't need any of that for two hours. That's a long time. Not 10 minutes. 10 minutes would be a long time for people to scream at the top of their lungs for 10 minutes straight. For two hours, they just did nothing but chant this thing over. That's weird. That's demonic. They have hit a chord. You know, they have touched on a nerve. They have gotten Satan And he never thought he'd be touched there. You know, he was happy with sending the sons of Sceva out naked. And all of a sudden that ain't happening anymore. We got some people with real power have come in and are changing things. And that is going to make people mad. Understand that as a spirit filled Christian, wherever you go, when you begin to talk about Jesus and you become effective, you are going to be attacked. You are going to have people that are out of their mind, crazy, confused, but won't let up for two hours yelling in your face. And that tells you something. You're doing the right thing. You're making an effect. So the city clerk comes up. He quieted the crowd. Now, he's got an issue here. His neck's on the line. He got a job. And Rome says, keep it quiet. That's all we care about. I don't care what you do. Worship Diana. Worship Jesus. Just don't be loud and obnoxious and pay your taxes, go about life. Let's just see it all smooth and even. This is not what Rome wants to see. A bunch of screaming crazy fools in a theater, screaming for two hours. Hey, the Diana, we're fierce, we're powerful, you know, whatever. So he gets up there and he says this, man of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? And of the image which fell down from Zeus... Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, well, I would take exception with that. I mean, this is a guy who's putting spin right here. Hey, we all know that we're the greatest city on the earth. We defend the demo. First of all, you're defending a temple of a god. That's scary that your god needs to defend you, but okay. You know that our reputation is we love this goddess Diana, and we know where that image came from. It fell from Zeus. No, it didn't. I guarantee Demetrius made it, more than likely. And now they're all worshiping it, and he's so little. Anyway, it can't be denied. Well, you're right. He's wrong, but they think he's right. You ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen has a case uh, against anyone, the courts are open. And there, is a pro, there are pro Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which uh, we may give to account for the disorderly gathering. And when they had uh, said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And uh, Basically, they all went home after the uproar ceased is how chapter 20 starts. So again, we see an opportunity where Paul doesn't have to defend himself, and nobody has to say anything, really. The world just kind of has to they silence themselves. Like he's, he's canceling them out. You guys need to be quiet. If there's a problem, go to the court. But they haven't said anything about Diana. They just talked about this Jesus guy. And just because people realize they love Jesus and they don't love your God, well, that's a competition issue. There's no rights. There's no infringement here. You need to deal with this properly, or we're going to get in trouble with, with Rome. And so it all goes away. Um, and that's where we stop tonight. Paul has quite a ministry. I mean, I can't imagine being at any one of these events, not let alone a life of this, constantly. But a life full of the Holy Spirit, given over to him, allowing him to use you and take you and speak through you any way that he sees fit, will be bring you into amazing situations like this. And some say, well, that's not so amazing. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get ripped apart. Well, you don't want to be complicit either to the world. You know, I mean, how boring would that life be if we all sat around here just going along with it and being along with the world and never even being noticed, you know? I, I, I'm all for, you know, preaching Jesus Christ and, 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 if, and if, if, if need be used words. Okay, you need to use words. You need to let your beliefs be known. And we need to be filled with the Spirit when we do it. And there needs to be power in our lives. And people need to see not only a self help program that you're working in your own life, but they need to see the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's so important because that's what's going to cause them to turn to Christ. There's an effect, there's a work. We're burning our books. We're trying all these other things, and we're getting rid of all those other things. We're going to do this. We're going to—there is a living God. He does dwell with us. He died on the cross for our sins. He sent His Holy Spirit to come into my heart and to change me from the inside out in a brokenness that I can't fix in a dead man who's been raised to life, who could not raise himself. There's a power there that needs to happen, Um, and they know that, and we offer that. And we can't offer them anything else other than that. And so that's where we leave off. This week is going to be an amazing week for you. We read about this stuff, and we study these things, and the next two or three days, you're going to have opportunities for these things. You might even lay in bed tonight and ask for a baptism of the Holy Spirit, quietly. And something may happen to you, and you'll be different from this night forward. And It's a good thing. It's an amazing moment. It's an amazing thing when you look back at your life. I Anyway, I'll leave you with that. I don't want to add any more to it. I know that the Lord's done a work tonight and people have heard and um, we'll pray that way tonight as we close um, together as a fellowship. Lord, we thank you for your word. We've studied it. You've explained it to us. Um, It's eternal. Your word is forever and it always accomplishes what it was set out to do. And tonight it touched us and our hearts and the need for either a first-time baptism of your Holy Spirit or a refilling. Which happens throughout the book of Acts. It's not disputed. It's documented that the disciples were filled over and over and over again with the Holy Spirit. Empowered to serve. And the word of God was effective and it changes and it, um, it prevails. So God, we lay ourselves open tonight to you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled afresh. That you would come upon us. May you change us from the inside out, the areas that we are trying to discipline ourselves in, that we're trying to um, really be strong in and to work on. God, we surrender those over to you now and pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, do the work and change us and release us from these things to help us, God. The helper, that's what we're asking for. And we let you do whatever you want to do in our lives. We surrender them to you, Lord. And Lord, help us to share this with those around us, to not be prideful about having the Holy Spirit and them not, but to take the opportunity to lead them, to lay hands on them, to pray for them, to tell them about your Holy Spirit, to tell them about you, Jesus, if they don't know you. But after that, if they have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, help us to be bold and to share. You've given us the office of kings and priests. Help us to do our job, Lord, to do our work, to do our calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.